Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. Our vision is to extend and establish the influence of the kingdom of God by equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So folks, I mentioned to you last week that we're going to be starting something new today. We're going to be going on a slightly new journey, and that's why I've, I've, I've welcomed you this morning, and I've said to you, let's fill up from the front, because today we are talking about a very important subject. Up on the back there, you are seeing the unfolding of something that it's hard to, to I, don't, I don't like to, to coin a phrase to it, but it's really an expression of our heart, of who we are. And the first thing that we as a fellowship are is a family. We have different ideas of family and what family may look like or may be like. You may feel you have the perfect family, idyllic. Maybe you're trying, but you're not quite there. You're doing your best, but it's just not coming off the way you intend. Maybe it's all going horribly wrong. Maybe when you think about your family, you realize that your family is full of, that your family tree is just full of nuts. <laughs> or maybe you know that you're a little dysfunctional, but you're trying to put forward a good image and you're trying to make it look really good. If you see closely, you'll see just how badly photoshopped those faces are. There is not a single wrinkle. There is, everything's just white, clean really trying hard to be the perfect family, or maybe you actually are the perfect family and you're just incredible and you guys have got it all together. But really, we all have a, a basic understanding of what family is and what it looks like, and every family is different. I grew up in a wonderful family. I'm really blessed. It's something I thank God for often, that I grew up in a home where I understood unconditional love where both my parents were present, still married to this day, where I have a wonderful relationship with my sister. A week doesn't go by without me seeing her, just popping in at her workplace to annoy her, and I mean, to tell her that I love her. <laughs> if you look at the dictionary, and let's look at some definition of what family means, some definitions will come out like this. Family is a group consisting of two parents and their children living together as a unit. That's a very small social grouping, um, but accurate enough. I really like this one. It's a group of people related by blood or marriage. So you're either born into the family or you marry into the family. I don't have any Greek blood in me, but I'm as close to Greek as you can get just about without speaking the language. I'm integrated into the family. But what I really liked about this one when we think about our spiritual family, when we think about the family of God, it says that you're either related by marriage or by blood. How is it that you and I have come to be part of God's family? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And if that's not good enough, one day we will celebrate at the marriage feast. of the, And we, we're in by blood. We're in by marriage. God is using all means He can possibly to make sure that we know that we're a part of His family family. Amen? A local organization unit of the mafia or other large criminal group. Okay, that's not what we're going with. That definition is not quite what we're going with. 
Some definitions are great. Other definitions are leading us a little bit astray from where I want to go today. I want to say to you that regardless of what your family is or your family isn't, what's important is that we understand, that we define who we are as individuals, not through what we do, but through relationships. You see, who you are is not defined by what you do. That's functional. Who you are is defined by whose you are. Where do you belong? Amen? It's about who. Now, we can understand in a natural family setting, who are you? Well, I'm the son of Brian and Bernadette Morris. I am the brother of Janine Conradi. She's now married and she's got a new name. And you understand who you are in your own little family. But I also know that I'm the spiritual son to Andreas and Cristela Kiriakou. And I was that long before I was the son-in-law to Andreas and Cristela Kiriakou. And I understand that God has set me not just in a... Uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? A blood family, but not, it's more a natural family, thank you. But he's also set me in an unnatural, I mean a spiritual <laughs> family. Natural is probably not the best word I could have used back then. A spiritual family. I belong somewhere. You belong somewhere. And one of the greatest things we can discover as believers is our place, the place where we belong. Tony Fitzgerald often says that the... the the most important things you need to discover is whose you are, who you are, and who you're called to live with and live your life out with and work out your calling with. We define who we are not through what we do, but through relationships. Folks, God created us for relationship. God does nothing outside of relationship. Everything He did from the very beginning, even creation itself, was done for the purpose of having relationship with you and I. Our existence came about, and everything we have is, exists for the purpose of relationship. And from the very beginning, this is how God deals with us, not according to works, but according to relationship. God created mankind for intimacy. He walked with them in the cool of the day. Everything that was about was about being an expression of that relationship of love and unity between God and man. And this is what we lost at the fall. We lost intimacy. We lost relationship. Suddenly, we, mankind was no longer in intimate communication or communion with God. Suddenly, mankind is now at war with himself. And we have brothers killing one another. And at the end of the day, all we were left with is instead of having relationship out of which works flow, is we were left with works and systems and laws to try and live life. We needed to be told how to relate to one another. You must do this and you mustn't do that because what fell short was relationship. Instead of living for one another, mankind began to live for himself. And that's where it all came unraveled. That's where God's plan came unraveled. You see, family is God's plan. From the very beginning, it was God's plan. You notice any society where the family unit unravels, where there is a prevalence of that in a community, you will find a prevalence of crime. You will find a prevalence of drug usage. You will find a prevalence of rebellion. Why? Because in communities where the family unit is disintegrated, there's no sense of identity. People don't know who they are. 
They don't know how they're supposed to behave. There's no sense of being loved or there's no sense of belonging. And so therefore I need to go and make a name for myself and I need to do something. God didn't start man with works and said, if you do this well, you will become something. God started man with, you are. And because of who you are, go and do and be. And if we get those wrong, we misunderstand the whole thing. We need to understand that regardless of all those family pictures I showed you at the beginning, regardless of which one of those pictures you may place yourself into, regardless of which family fits your definition best, there is one design of family, or there's one design that God did not intend for you and I, and that is this design. God never intended for you and I to be isolated or alone. God created us, each one, for relationship, deep relationship, committed and long-lasting relationship, not frivolous relationship. I'm not talking about Facebook friends kind of relationship. I'm talking about a relationship that ministers life to life, one to another, that helps one another along. So much of what the world is these days is this, withdrawing, isolation. Again, each man in it for himself, to make a name for himself. I actually heard something on Friday which I found really intriguing. Years ago, although you know, we understand fame and we understand celebrity, years ago people wanted to be good at something so that they could be famous. I want to be a good singer so that I can be famous. Or I want to be a wonderful craftsman and be famous for my craft. These days, fame in itself is the goal. All I want to be is famous. I don't want, I don't know. I'll find something. Find a way. All I want to do is be famous. Siobhan's been telling me I need to start uploading YouTube videos of me opening things. When new things arrive, apparently the way I receive them and act is very exciting. You don't... Unlike no one else. He says like no one else. He said if he started recording... So for example, when these books first arrived, he said I was like a little schoolboy. I was so excited. He said, Michael, if we put a video of that online, a million hits, just like that. I'd be famous for doing nothing. The point I'm making is this. The goal, the ambition, so much of what we see around us is about me. It's about my enrichment. It's about how I can be something. How I can be and become someone that others will look to. But those others won't be there when you lay your head on the pillow at night. Those others won't be there when you are going through a rough time. They're distant. They're not true and real relationships. What I'm talking about is family. I'm talking about people to live with and walk with and do life with. I was really blessed as a child to be able to go to the Magic Kingdom. How many of you know what the Magic Kingdom is? Walt Disney World, Orlando, Florida. My parents took me when I was a kid. And about three, four years ago, I think it was, I went, I was over in Florida again, and I went to the Magic Kingdom for a day. But I was alone. My family were here in Cape Town, my kids and my wife here in Cape Town, and it was just me. So there, I've shown you a photo of myself there in front of, I think that's Cinderella's Castle on Main Street, USA. I walked, while, I walked, walked the Magic Kingdom flat in that day, covered over 20 kilometers, went on all the best rides, did everything I could in that one day. And you know what? You know what I discovered about the Magic Kingdom? That's what they call it. I discovered that the magic is not in the kingdom. The magic is in the people I share it with. It was a hollow day. I paid a fortune to get in there. 
and you sit on Space Mountain, one of the best roller coaster rides, and there's no one to scream with. <laughs> you just sit in the dark going. <laughs> it's boring. You go down Splash Mountain, and they take the photo of you, and you come out and you look at the photo, and there's no one to show it to. And you know what, that whole day, no matter how, what ride I went on, no matter where I was running, no matter what I was doing, no matter what I was eating, all I could think about was them. Oh, I missed them. And this day that, I mean, if anybody who knows me well understands my love and my affinity for Disney and all things Disney and the songs and the musicals and the movies and all that kind of thing, and I was in the Magic Kingdom, but I was away from my family. And it didn't mean the same. I missed my girls. That's, that's who I wanted there. I wanted to share that with them. And it just, it was hollow. This place that's a dreamland was just devoid of everything it was supposed to be. Why? Because I had no one to share it with. I had no one to enjoy it with. So all the pleasure, everything that, that you could want without the people there to enjoy it without your heart being in the right place and all that kind of thing. It's just, it's just empty. It was meaningless. Do you understand what I mean? I want to say to you this morning, folks, that God deals with you and I on the basis of family. And He's never intended for us to live our lives alone. And I don't mean just an insular family, single family unit. I mean His family, His church, the body of Christ. We are the family of God. If you think about how God reveals himself from the very beginning, how he deals with mankind, it's always on the basis of family. Um, that, that's one of the things Jesus really put forward, was the understanding that we are no longer servants of God, but we are sons and daughters of God. If you think of the revelation of God from the very beginning, he introduces himself as, in the beginning, God Elohim, the creator, created the heavens and the earth. And later on, we understand this word Jehovah, or Yahweh, comes up. God is the all-sufficient one who changes not and constantly reveals himself. That's what Jehovah or Yahweh means. And he says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who reveals himself as your healer. I am Jehovah Nisi, your banner of victory. I am Jehovah Jireh, your... Very convenient that that rhymes. Do you understand? It's God constantly reveals himself. But then when Jesus comes along, he transitions us from an idea of a distant God to a very close, a very personal God, like a father in a home. He introduces us as God the Father. And if you continue reading the writings of Paul, it's all about those who are led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit leads us to cry out, Abba, Daddy, intimate, close relationship. Not father as in distant figure of authority, but daddy, papa. The one on whom lap I can climb and put my head on his chest and receive comfort and grace and love and recognition. Let's just look at a few scriptures. I'll read Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6 from the Amplified, and it says this, that God is a father to the fatherless, and he is a judge and protector of the widow, is God in his holy habitation. So in other words, anybody who doesn't have a home, God is their home. If you don't have a dad, God will be your dad. If you're a widow and you're all alone, God is your man. He will look after you. He takes care of the solitary and those who are alone. God places the solitary in families and gives the desolate a home in which to dwell. He leads the prisoners out to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched 
land. So you see that right from the beginning, God sets the solitary in family. Family. Family is very different from corporation. A corporation is a group of people who come together. There's unity in it, but the unity is a, to do something. It's to do. It's a task. So the, what's the purpose of this co corporation? It's to make a profit through delivering a particular service. If you are useful or, and, and, and conducive to, to achieving that, then great, you're on board. You're part of the family, so to speak. But as soon as you are no longer helping the cause, you're redundant. You're let go. We wouldn't waste resources on you just to keep you around. That's what a corporation does. That's what business does and how it works. And it needs to work that way. We understand that. But family is not about what you do. It's about who you are. It's about where you belong. If you think of a natural family, my natural family, everybody does different things. They have different occupations. They have different gifts. They spend their days doing different things. But at the end of the day, we all come home to be. To be family. We do different things, but we're still one. We're still family. Different gifts. If you look at how God made covenant with Abraham, we see the, th the, the same theme rolling itself out. Genesis 22, verse 17 to 18. He says, Blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed. It doesn't say every shepherd after you will be blessed, every blacksmith after you will be blessed. It had nothing to do with occupation or task or function. It had to do with family. It had to do with belonging. And when you belonged, everything that belonged to that family belonged to you. Amen? The only reason my children need to ask me permission for something out of the fridge is because if they don't, they're probably going to mess. But as they're getting older, they need to ask permission for less and less and less. They don't need to ask permission to use the bathroom. They go! And I'm delighted. They don't need me for that anymore. But a son and a daughter in a house don't have to ask permission to go to the fridge. What's in the fridge belongs to the family. Am I right? That's the home I grew up in. You go to the fridge if you're hungry. You take what's there and you enjoy it because you're a part of the family. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's what the family of God is like. It belongs to you because you belong. My parents never denied me food for rebellious behavior. I would back chat sometimes. I'd get punished. If I rebelled or was disobedient, there was punishment due, but I was never denied sustenance. I was never denied my position at the dining room table. Amen? Amen? And many people deal with God that way. They think, oh, if I do right, God will love me and I'm accepted. And if I do wrong, oh, I'm in trouble. God doesn't want me in His presence. Couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus has dealt with our sin, past, present, future. Why? Because He wants family. He wants us around the dinner table. He says He's prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. <laughs> so come sit, come enjoy, come partake. If you look at Jesus, what is it that propelled Him and ushered Him into His ministry? On the day he goes out to be baptized by John the Baptist, we know that the Holy Spirit descended on him in the image of a dove. And God spoke these words. He said, Behold, this is my son. Not my servant. This is my son. This is my boy. And I love him. 
and I'm well pleased with him. This is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. He acknowledged relationship. Amen? Relationship, belonging. And from then, you see Jesus with his disciples. I think it's something really, that we, really beautiful that we miss in Jesus' prayer. I think it's John chapter 17 when he's praying for those who are his, his disciples, his little family. He says, Father, I pray for those you have given me. I did not pray for the world, but I pray for these. Because this is my family while I'm down here. And I pray that, that as I am in you, they will be in me, and me in them. And this oneness, this unity of family, of belonging, would sustain them and motivate them, and that your life would flow through them from that. We can ask ourselves, why did Jesus come to earth? And we all understand it's to forgive our sins, but that's, that's just a small part of the purpose. That's a small part of the reason. Colossians 1, 21 to 22 says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in the sight of God. The whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth is to reconcile back to the Father that which was lost through the fall. Not just your salvation and mine, but all of creation. Everything to be restored back to its former glory. How does God do that? Romans 8 tells us that the earth groans, waiting for the revelation of doesn't say the servants of God. It doesn't say, it says the sons. It says the sons of God. Those who have found their place of belonging, who live life from the point of view that they belong to the kingdom of God. You see, folks, when you live with a, if you don't have a righteous consciousness, in other words, the fact that Jesus' atonement for you is complete, and you live your life from the point of view of not having to prove anything to God, then what it means is you, you're constantly trying to earn His favor, constantly trying to do the right thing so that God will be pleased with you. That tells us that somehow we believe that we could please God. But yet, I think it's Isaiah tells us that the best we have to bring, our good works are as? Filthy rags to God. You see, the best you and I had was never going to be good enough. That revelation shouldn't make you bow your head. It should make you throw up your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. I couldn't do it, but you did. And I get to walk in your righteousness. I get to experience the love of a family that I now belong to. This is my family because of you, Lord Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? The whole purpose of Jesus' coming was to bring us into family. That's why those first few words are so important. We do not define ourselves as an organization. Sure, we're a nonprofit organization. We're registered. We submit books for govern, government and all that kind of thing. We, do, we, we are an organization legally. But that's not the essence of who we are. The essence of who we are is family. And we have wonderful and various different occupations all around this, this body. We have some who are in IT. We've got some who are in law. We've got some in teaching. We've got some practicing medicine. Others doing so legally. <laughs> different spheres, different people. Some in finance. All different spheres. But at the end of the day, where do we come home to? Family. 
family. So what does God's family look like? We understand, obviously, that even in, a, in, in, a, in our natural families, we understand that we have our family, which is my wife and my two kids. That's my immediate family. I can take that out a little bit, and I've got my parents and her parents that are the grandparents, and my sisters and my sister and her brother and sister who have children, and so we've got cousins, and we've got nieces and nephews, and we can take that out a little bit further, and my father's cousin, and the family can grow bigger and bigger, and once a year, I know we try and have a thing called the Morris Reunion to try and get all the people together to just see each other once in a while so that family can just connect and, and all that kind of thing. Families grow, and families are big, and families are diverse, but none is insignificant. Because although my cousins may be a little bit more distant to who I am, but in their home I'm a little distant to who they are, and they've got their little family, and they've got their thing going on. We're connected. We belong. And that's the same in the church today. There's how many churches around this community of Pinelands? Different churches who do things in different ways, in beautiful ways, some really conservative. There's some churches in our community where the average age is sitting at 67 years old, and they're beautiful. Very different. I wouldn't fit in there, and they wouldn't want me there. But beautiful. And there's other churches that are just rolling in different things, different ways of expressing praise and worship to God. All part of this big family called the church. Amen? And in our little neck of the woods, we have our family called Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. And wh what does this mean? This means that we have found a place where we belong. There's a mom and a dad in the house. There's brothers and sisters, some older, some younger. There's people who have, are further along in their journey with the Lord, and there's people who are quite new to the whole thing. And all of this is jumbled together into this mix called family. And what I want to start off with as we go on this journey is the understanding that family is not all just about what you do and what you can add Functional-wise, it's just about knowing that you know that God has placed you somewhere where you belong, where you can receive love and give it away and express love, not just between you and God, but with one another. I want to read you a little bit from the Message Bible, some, some verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, you can see easily enough, or you can easily enough see how this kind of thing works by looking no further than your own body. Your body has many parts, limbs, organs, cells. No matter how many parts you can name, you're still one body. It's exactly the same with Christ. By means of His one Spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. In other words, the understanding of this is that when I come to Christ, I realize that I've got to leave myself, my selfishness, my dreams, and my ambitions behind because I now belong to something that is bigger than myself. It's no longer all about me. I'm not just concerned with my own well-being, but I'm concerned with the well-being of my whole family. Amen? How much brokenness has come to homes because either a father or a mother just want to go off and do their own thing and they forget about everybody else that they leave behind. How much brokenness and pain does that bring? We don't have to look far to see that, folks. Even children, how much brokenness and pain does it bring where children decide they want to rebel against their parents and they go? They just want to do their own thing. Leave me alone. 
I don't want to be a part of this family anymore. Pain. Brokenness. But God says, when we come to Christ, we leave behind a life of self-seeking because we understand that we now belong to a family, His family, and it's not about us anymore. From verse 25, it says, The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on every other part. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. If one part hurts, every other part is involved and every other part is involved in the hurt and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. You are Christ's body, the church. That's who you are. And then he says, you must never forget this. Why does he say that? Why does he add in that line? Why does he bring emphasis to that? You must never forget this. Why does he say that? The reason is simply this, because we're prone to forgetting it. <laughs> the reason you tell somebody, don't forget this, is because they have a track record of forgetting that. Don't forget it. You're not here to live for yourself. It's not all about your agenda or your career or your fame. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. Interesting, isn't it? Beautiful way of saying it. But I think the one thing I really want to draw from that scripture is he says, as much as I may glorify an eye or an ear instead of a stomach because it's a hidden thing, I can exist without an eye, which is a glamorous part. I can't exist without a, a stomach. No part, no matter how glamorous or mundane, is unimportant. Every part is important. Every part has significance. And as, I mean, if my stomach suddenly decided it wanted to start breathing, that would make things really awkward and uncomfortable, possibly a little bit painful. The noises that came out would come out would probably not be socially acceptable because it's not functioning as it should be. But when my stomach works the way it should, and my lungs work the way they should, and my brain works the way that should, I mean, that's a far stretch, I know. But when everything's doing what it's supposed to be doing, my body's in harmony. I'm happy, there's peace, and I can function well. But my brain is dependent upon my heart. And my heart is dependent upon my lungs, as is my spleen, and my liver, and my right toenail. Every part is dependent on every part. The whole needs to be right, and then every part receives blessing. So what does that mean? That means I depend on you, and you depend on me. This house is not the same without you. There's somebody missing at the table. You know what it's like to sit down for dinner, and there's empty space where you know somebody's supposed to be sitting. It's not the same. It's not the same without them there. Why? Because that's where they belong. It's where they belong. That's where they add their flavor. That's where their fragrance comes into the potpourri of the family. Scripture makes it easy to see the organic nature of the church. Again, emphasis here is on belonging. Your part doesn't mean anything until you've found the place that God intends you to impart. So again, it's just about that place of being planted, finding your space. A couple more scriptures. The first one comes from Ephesians chapter 4. And again, it gives a very similar analogy. And we're going to read from verse 11 to 16. 
because it talks about, as a family, what's the goal, what's the calling, what's the purpose, how do we, what, what is it supposed to look like, all that kind of thing. And he says this. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation because it articulates it quite nicely. I see you've got New King James up there, no problem. But I'll share with you from the New, New Living Translation. It says, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So in other words, there's certain members of the body. You could say that the father and the mother of the body, if you like, of a family. What is their role? Their role is to feed the children, to make sure that there's provision, to make sure that they get the education they need, the skills they need, the exercise they need to make sure that their bodies are working properly, all those kinds of things. So there's certain people within a family who carry that responsibility. To what end? That those children may grow up with a right worldview, a right way of thinking, healthy bodies, healthy minds, well-educated, to be a benefit to society and not a leech on it. Amen? This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, as I read, sorry, all measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So that's the standard. That's where we're going. Then we will no longer be immature children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced by people who try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Ron mentioned one earlier on. We've recently been seeing all kinds of nonsense in society and within the church. Strange, foolish things going on. And people are gullible. One of the th comments that came out, you know, in the light of what's been happening in the media, I mean, in, our, in, in, in various churches across our country, everything from pastors getting their people to eat grass, spraying them with doom, this, this fake resurrection the other day. Part of the problem, folks, is false teachers, false prophets. But you know what the major problem is? Gullible people. That's the real problem. When Paul commends the church in Ephesus, he says, I commend you because you found out, you saw those who were false, and you, you revealed them. There's people out there exploiting the church, taking advantage of gullible people. We ought not to be so. Amen? We need to grow up and be mature and understand and have wisdom and discernment. Verse 15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. We have it again who is the head of the body, the church. So who is the Father? Who is the head? Jesus Christ is the head of the body. Amen? The head is not disconnected from the body. If a head is decapitated, the body dies, as does the head. Amen? Jesus is the head of the body, and He is still vitally connected to His church. He makes up the whole body, fit together... Per oh, sorry. He makes the whole body fit together per perfectly... As each does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So as I begin to bring this home to our situation, our spiritual family, to our context, 
We need to realize that we will never understand or fulfill our calling and our mandate as a family until we, we become well acquainted with every member of the family. What's an example of this? If you need to run a marathon or you want to do some kind of physical sport or event, whatever it may be, you need to make sure that your body is healthy, that everything is, is working properly, that nothing is dislocated for you to perform at your peak. Amen? Can you run a marathon with a dislocated arm? Yes. You can run a marathon with a dislocated arm. Will it be agony all the way? Yes. <laughs> God doesn't want us to live in agony. He wants us to live every day full of joy, experiencing His love and His grace and His mercy. The success of any family, the strength of any family, is not measured by its accomplishments, but by the strength of its relationships. You see, as accomplishments grow, so does stress and so does pressure. You know that as, your life, as you've grown in your life, as work has gotten more demanding, as life has gotten more demanding, what happens to the family unit? It comes under pressure. Amen? It's determined that whether, how, you do, how you resist and deal with that pressure is determined by the strength of the relationships that you have within the family. The importance of our relationships with one another, family, cannot be overstated. It's the most important thing. God has knit us together. First, to be, and then to do. Our relationships are a reflection and an extension of our relationship with Christ. I cannot deceive myself into thinking that I can have a vibrant, healthy relationship with Jesus and live in isolation. Because the very nature of Jesus and His love is that God so loved the world that He gave His Son to go and be amongst the people, to go and connect, to share love. Love without expression is no love at all. It's a fallacy. It's a deception. Love needs to be expressed. And shortly before Jesus was taken from His disciples, in John chapter 13, He said these words, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you love one another. In other words, that you lay down your lives for one another. And then he goes on to make this statement. He says, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love, one for another. It's not about the works. Jesus didn't say anything about preaching. He didn't say that the world will know that you are my disciples because you heal the sick or because you cast out demons or because you overthrow principalities and powers. He didn't use any of those things as references. We know that the early church, the people of God, lived under a regime which brutally persecuted them. And yet others still called them by name of Christian. Those who are like Christ, those who are followers of Jesus. How could they recognize them? What was it? Was it the signs or the wonders? No, Jesus said it was the love. What does that mean? That means that if a stranger walks in here for the first time in the morning, one thing should impact them, primarily. And that one thing should not be the preaching. That one thing should not be the worship. That one thing should be the love. 
that they see demonstrated from one to another. I'm not saying that we group hug every new believer that walks in here. Feel the love! But what I am saying is that the way we treat one another, the way we have relationship, you know, if they stick around a little bit, they start hearing stories about what happened outside of these four walls, how we just got together and shared a meal, how we got together and played football, or whatever it may be, but there was a desire to build real relationship out of which love and life could flow and could touch the lives of others. This is the essence of what family is all about. Loving one another. And like I said to you, love that has no expression is a deception. It's a fallacy. It's a lie. So as we go on this journey and we talk a little bit more about what our family is and where we're going and what it is that God has called us to do as a family, we need to remember that it all comes down to this one most important thing. We're a family. We're a family. We're a family. And we're all different, but we're all important. We all have different grace and different gifts. Everyone's significant. Everyone means something. And God has put you here and joined you to this family for a reason because you carry something that we all need. Have you discovered your place? Are you feeling the love? If you're not, start giving some. Amen? People say, oh, pastor, there's not enough prayer in this church. Well, then you start praying. Be the change you want to see. There's not enough love. Well, then start giving away love. You know, well, I see... Uh, after the service, we have newcomers. We invite them to come join us for a cup of coffee and then they go make a cup of coffee and they stand there all by themselves, Pastor, because the rest of the church is all left. So go stand with them. Go and enjoy a cup of coffee with them and just take some time out of your busy Sunday. Amen? Do you understand what I'm talking to you about, folks? I'm talking about relationship. Many think we can do great and mighty and wonderful things for God to make a name for ourselves. That's just pride. And we missed the point completely. We need to have the attitude of John the Baptist, which said, I must decrease so he can increase. And that attitude of Jesus, which said, He was least among you. He was the servant of all. He's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And let's find ways, let's find creative ways, ladies and gentlemen, to show love in family. Amen? So let's stand together. You know, while you're standing, I'm going to just give you some part of, part of this discipleship course. For those of you who came on Wednesday, I'll, I was really glad, happy to see you. For those of you who didn't, come and join us. We started a discipleship course last Wednesday, this, this, this past Wednesday. There's no cost involved, so don't let that be a hindrance to you. Come and join us every Wednesday. We start at about 6, quarter past 6. We have a cup of coffee. Half past 6, we start teaching. We generally out of here, we'll be out of here by about 8. Come and join us. But one of the lessons we have in this is we talk about church and what church is. And there's 58 references to one another, the term one another in the New Testament alone, relating to how believers ought to love and behave towards their brethren. I want to read some of them to you. Have peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Be kindly affectionate to one another. Be of the same mind towards one another. 
Do not judge one another anymore. Receive one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Just do it. The Bible says so. Somebody doesn't like it, quote them the scripture. When you come together to eat, wait for one another. In other words, be considerate. Have the same care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be long-suffering towards one another. Forgive one another. Do not lie to one another. Teach one another. Love one another. Comfort one another. Edify one another. Exhort one another. Love one another. Love one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. Love one another. Do you understand? 58 times in the New Testament, the Bible points us to this, a body, the church. The Bible has a lot. Folks, I want you to understand, I'm not talking about the world here. I'm talking about our family. Yes, we do love the world. Yes, we do love our enemies. And the Bible has a lot to say about reaching out. But by this shall all men know that we are His disciples. By the fact that we have loved one for another. See, if we don't have love here, if we don't have something to bring people into, what are you going to win them to? Another isolated person in love with Jesus, but nowhere to go. No home. So let's be that home. Amen? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.